fit for illness at our house. And my turn was this last week. Actually, two, but it got bad this last week. So I appreciate you praying, or else I wouldn't be here. So, um, Lord, I just thank you. Uh, I thank you for your light. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your hope. I thank you for how you, uh, you touch our hearts, that you touch our lips. Lord, I'm asking you to touch my lips today as I speak. Lord, give me your heart and help me share uh, your words. Amen. Um, I'm going to read a little bit uh, from, uh, it was from a website called Life in Messiah, and it's about Hanukkah, so I'm going to read a little bit what they wrote. It's kind of a bigger chunk, so I'm letting you know in advance. These are not my words, and they're not from the Bible, but they have, um, they, I liked the way that the this particular website laid it out pretty simply. So, uh, Hanukkah, also known as the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah is an eight-day Jewish holiday celebrating the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem in the second century B.C. Hanukkah is the Hebrew word for dedication. It is believed that after a successful revolt against a tyrannical monarch, the victorious Jewish community could find very little pure olive oil to light the menorah, only enough for one day. However, the oil lasted for eight days, long enough to purify more oil. Uh, Jewish people light a candle in each of the eight evenings in remembrance of God's provision. Uh, this part is also according to the same website, Life in Messiah. Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the most anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, anti-God rulers in history, according to the website. He became a ruler in 175 BC. There were several Syrian kings named Antiochus. This particular man chose the title Epiphanes to distinguish himself this is Greek for God manifest, which indicates the extent of his arrogance against the one true God. And Antiochus's attempt to destroy the worship of the one God and the Levitical sacrificial system, he sent an army to Jerusalem to dedicate the temple to the gods of Olympia and Zeus. He organized an attack on Jerusalem on the Sabbath, knowing the Jews would not fight then. He destroyed much of the city and slaughtered men, women, and children. He defiled the Jewish temple by offering a pig on the altar to Zeus and Olympia and sprinkled its blood in the Holy of Holies. The swine's broth was poured on the holy scrolls and the law. The scrolls containing the word of God were then ripped in pieces and burned. He enslaved and murdered many Jewish people. He ordered many altars to be erected in every town. His troops then ordered all local communities to worship and eat the flesh of pigs to prove their conversion from Judaism. The alternative to eating pig was death. He forbade uh, or forbid, all, forbade, I think it's forbade, all Jews from practicing the faith, including circumcision, observance of the Sabbath, and sacrifices. And he had a bearded image of Jupiter placed in the temple in Jerusalem. His goal was to defeat Israel's armies and humiliate their God, thereby assimilating them into the Greek culture. Again, this is this website's words, and you can tell they're kind of loaded. Um, the Maccabean Revolt began when a delegate of Antiochus IV named Apelles 
tempted to force Mattathias Maccabee, a priest who lived in Modin, to sacrifice to a pagan deity. Mattathias refused, but another Jew volunteered to perform the sacrifice. Outraged and overcome by righteous anger, Mattathias pulled out his sword and killed both the Seleucid delegate and the errant Jew upon the altar, and thus the Maccabean revolt began. So when I heard this, specifically this section here too, when I heard about this, I thought about the intense, often violent examples of zeal in the Bible. For example, how Moses, when he came off the mountain and found the Israelites worshiping the golden calf, he called everyone loyal to the Lord to him, and then they killed everyone else. Now, when Moses, this is from Exodus 32, 25, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. I also thought about how Elijah killed all the prophets of Baal after God struck the sacrifice with fire. Um, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed to the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Krishon and executed them there. So growing up on stories of his people... How ready must Peter have felt to die for his Lord? How right it must have seemed to draw out that sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the priest who was manhandling his king. How confusing it must have seemed to be corrected in that moment. Matthew twenty six fifty. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legion of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Peter lived for this. He prepared for this. He was the one Jesus spoke of in Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. They had been waiting for the Lord to rescue them. They had been waiting. Even as Jesus ministered in an intensely personal servant-hearted way. They waited for him to rule and reign and to come into his power and to wipe the Romans out of Jerusalem. But the battle Jesus asked his disciples to fight in his last hour was a battle in prayer. Matthew 26, 36. 
Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then they, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death's day here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this, pass cup, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the rock spoken of to Peter, which, about which the Lord would build his church, and of which the gates of hell would not prevail against, was the preceding revelation, the one in Matthew sixteen fifteen, where he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So let's go back to the story of Moses. Before he came down from the mountain and found the Israelites dancing and saw the golden calf, and before his anger was hot in him and he broke the tablets in Exodus 32, 7. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped and sacrificed to it and said, This is your... Your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. So in that moment, the Lord says, let me alone. Let me do this. You are so close, I can't do that with you here. Step away. But his response, Moses' response is, Moses, then Moses pleaded, and the Lord his God said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with a mighty hand. Previously, the Lord says, you brought them out. And Moses says, you brought them out. I know you. I am. I have sat with you. I hear your voice. I have a bigger revelation of who you are. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountain, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your, wrath, your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Here is Moses saying, Lord, turn from your wrath. He has such a place of intimacy. He can know the Lord, know the Lord's heart, and he can speak to him. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land I have spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. This remember Abraham, where Abraham is the same one who interceded for Sodom, who interceded for his cousin Lot, who um, went to the Lord, I'm, 
can I go before you and ask if there are this many righteous, would you withhold your anger? So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do the people. So at the beginning of the month, just a reminder, Jen heard from the Lord and shared what he had said, that he was asking us to dump out our cup of frustration and fill it with intercession. And it's come up a couple different times. She has dutifully reminded us what the Lord has said. And we've been invited to enter into that. Now, this is where my message changes from what I thought it would be about. Because I thought I would be exploring intercession with you. Because that's what the Lord has been having me do in my own time. Because I realized, God showed me, I don't really understand what the word intercession means. And I only want the definition of that word to come from him. I want all of my ideas and concepts to come directly from, if possible, from the Lord. So we have been, he and I have been talking and reading the Bible together and studying it. And I'm going to tell you right now that I can't tell you exactly all the nuance of what intercession is. But that's because he has to show you the same way he's been showing me. If there's any words that you like realize, I think I know what this means. And then you're like, wait, what? Wait. I don't know that I know that means. I know what my culture has said it means. I know what I grew up believing it means. But I haven't actually thought about, do I, is that what the Bible says it means? Is that what you, Lord, say it means? So, I'm not going to talk about intercession. I was fully planning on it. I had half of it written. And the Lord did something he's not done to me yet, which was say something different and say, okay, what if, I'm, what if I want you to talk about something different? So we'll set that aside. I will give a little plug and say get excited about asking God to reveal to you that thing that you don't know you don't know. Let him reveal it to you. Let him show you. That word, you don't know, you don't know. And he will show it to you, and then you can start having a conversation about that with him. And it will take you amazing places and open up the word. If you're feeling dry, it will open up the word in a way that um, you forgot it could be because he'll be speaking directly to you about that thing. When you're in the prayer meetings, you will hear it pop up. You'll hear and you'll think, like I did. And in my, my example is, I would hear in the prayer room, is that intercession? Would that be called intercession? Would you call that intercession, Lord? Someone would pray a certain way, and I would think, is, oh, was that intercession right there? What about if they do that? What about that thing in me that says this? Is that intercession? And I would have these conversations, and he would show things. And the word would like radiate out if somebody used the word intercession I would go somebody's using that word again gotta figure out what that means so get excited about asking God to reveal to you that thing you don't know you don't know however (laughs) night before last when I was talking to the Lord I asked him what do you want to talk about 
And he said, maybe I'm talking to you about light. And I was like, I did, I did a lot of notes already, and I don't really feel good. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, okay, um, let's just set that aside for now, Lord. I'm just going to go back to my reading. You know, I've, it's been a while since I was reading where I was kind of reading. If you didn't take me a place, I'm just going to open it up where I left off. Where did I leave off? Here it is. Luke 11, 33. I'll just start reading there, Lord. No one, when he has a lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. When your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If there, then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Oh, <laughs> maybe you do want to talk about light. I get it. So if you remember at the start, I read to you um, a whole bunch about Hanukkah, and I read to you about it being eight days that the lamp stayed lit. Luke 9, 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, the sayings that, uh, that Jesus was saying was, the Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by his elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And if anyone desires to come to me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So after eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robes became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the website Life and Messiah again also said, the light of the Hanukkah lamp is to be taken, is to take place between sunset and until there is no wayfarer left in the street. The lamp should be placed outside the entrance of the house, and if a person lives in an upper story, it should be set on the window nearest the street. So the idea is to put the menorah in the window for all to see and know. It's a testimony. It's a witness. Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and it will come down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write on him my new name. So that word in that passage, pillar, is G4769, stylos. A pillar, it's defined as a pillar, a column, pillars of fire. For example, flames rising like pillars. It is used, and that same word is used in Revelation 10.1. And I saw another mighty angel coming up from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was as it were, as it were, was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. So that same pillar in the temple is defined there as the pillars of fire of his feet. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 
But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. This is 5.1. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. So when I was looking into this, this light in the dark place, it made me think of a quote from one of the Lord of Rings books, the trilogy, let's just call it the trilogy since I can't remember which one it's in. Where Galadriel says to, um, says to Frodo, I give you the light of Arendelle, our most beloved star. May it be a light for you in dark places when all other lights go out. So I can't help but be seeing the Lord is talking to us about, he says to me, maybe I want to talk about light. And then here we are on the cusp of the Hanukkah holiday um, where tonight at sundown the first Hanukkah candles would be lit or the oil would be lit. We do candles in our house, so that's just the way I think of it. But um, most, many families do oil because that's what it represents is the, 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 um, oh, in the temple, thank you. <laughs> the light in the temple. So Moses sees the burning bush that's burned but not consumed, so he comes nearer to investigate in Exodus 3.1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now, that's a funky, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a beautiful translation, but I find that one of the other translations, um, I used an NIV just for clarity in this particular passage, was... Um, it says that Moses saw that the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So it was burning, so it was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So when the Lord saw that, the, that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. The invitation to see that burning light and to question, what? is different. Something's different. What's going on here? I got to find out what's going on here to go closer. And then the Lord calls him from that place and he responds. We burn with the light of Jesus. He consumes the refuse and purifies, but he doesn't destroy. Instead, the fire, the light that others see in us, they draw 
closer. They draw, and it, and it causes them to ask, why is this? What's different about you? I wanted to... Um, during uh, worship, when Barbara shared the passage in James... James? Did I do that right? Okay. Um, and the response... Uh, there, Jessica prayed, take, take it, that we would take it quickly before the Lord, that we would be witness, that it would be a witness in prayer, that we would take these things to you in prayer, that this would be a witness to the people around us, that we take something that would be like a complaint or a negative, and rather than entering into that, we invite into that place of brightness and light. And then Jen was singing, touch my lips with your coal, purify me head to toe, make me a minister to my family. According to a different website, so according to the website, the first fruits of Zion, in rabbinic terminology, the menorah was sometimes called the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness. He called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. So the Life and Messiah website goes on to say, the eight cups that hold the Hanukkah candles are arranged in a row, one for each night of the holiday. Every menorah has one additional cup, a ninth cup, which is located in the center or to one side and is usually slightly elevated. The ninth candle is called the shamash, or one who serves. Jewish tradition says the purpose of the shamash is that Judaism gives light to the world. As Hanukkah, we light an additional candle on each day. We use a shamash to light the other candles until all the candles give off their light. So on the first night of Hanukkah after sundown, the shamash candle is lit, which is in turn is used to kindle one candle of the menorah. Second night, the shamash again is lit and is used to light two candles, except for example, or etc. The purpose of the shamash is to, um, according to a Wikipedia article, the purpose of the shamash 
also is to adhere to the prohibition specified in the Talmud against using the Hanukkah lights for anything other than publicizing and meditating on the Hanukkah miracle. This differs from Sabbath candles, which are meant to be used for illumination and lighting. So, the servant light not only lights the rest, but it is the only illumination. And the rest reflect, and they pass on that light. So the servant candle, the light that sets fire to the rest, the fire that burns, but doesn't destroy the burning heart for prayer, for intimacy, for zeal, for his house. The light that draws others to ask, why are you different? The, the light that is evident in the fruits of the spirit. The light that shines when all else is darkness. The testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. So on the website, Jews for Jesus, according to the latter rabbinical tradition, when the rule of the Hasmodeans prevailed and they defeated the Hellenists, they searched and finally found a tiny pitcher of oil which bore the seal of the high priest. In it was enough oil to last no more than one day, and a miracle occurred. It endured for eight days. For this reason, a period of eight days has marked, was marked off for thanksgiving and praise. The oil miraculously burned for eight days, which was the necessary time to prepare a new supply of sacred oil for the temple menorah. So in Matthew 25, 1, we know this passage well. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in the vessels with the lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Sometimes when I hear that passage, I think about my strength, my ability. It's all focused on me, whether or not I, I will have enough oil, rather than knowing the one where my oil comes from. I can easily get trapped in worrying that I don't have enough oil and forget that I know the one who gives, I know the one who provides, that he can take one bit and make it last as long as it needs to, that I can give him what I have, that he can consume and purify and burn away the rest and just take my heart and I can trust him because he is faithful and good and know that he'll keep me, that there's no way I can really have enough oil that I have stored up. But I can have a saving knowledge of him. I can know from where my help comes from. Enough to burn until. That's what they said about the oil, that there was enough... In, to burn until the new was prepared. Isaiah 
61 through 7. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. And then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nabaioth shall minister to you, and they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And Isaiah 60, 19 through 20. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the brightness shall be the moon, shall the moon give you light to you, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. There we go. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your glory and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your morning shall be ended. So today you get a short message. (laughs) But keep that light. um, Keep that light. It's a witness. What we have is a witness, and right now it's very dark. And uh, though the history might have these things like I've started with, with um, we look back at some of the stories and we see the swords and we see the violence, but Jesus called us to pray and to be that, to just carry his light. It's not really ours. Just like the Shamash lights the other candles, he lights us and, and people see that as a witness. So, Lord, I'm just asking that tonight, today, that you brighten us up and you polish us up and get us ready to stand in the window as a witness that you, um, you are the light and you're a beautiful servant light. And we just ask that, um, that we be the witness that you call us to be, that we trust in your character and your goodness to make the oil last through the dark night. We keep asking for you to burn away the bits that aren't that aren't pure. We don't want any darkness in us, Lord. We just ask that we be able to pray and pray with faith. Amen. Happy Hanukkah.